All right, good morning, everybody. I'd tell you where to turn, but it's everywhere. We're doing prophecies today, so you'll just have to follow along really carefully. Our first one will be in 2 Peter 1 through 19. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I'll read them. Um, next week uh, is our Christmas, uh, well, Christmas Eve day extravaganza, let's call it that. So we got two services, 9 and 11 as usual, but then we have our 7 p.m. candlelight service if you want to come back for that with your family. It's a great way to kick off uh, your Christmas. Mike, you're here. How are you feeling? Good. Yeah, absolutely. Everything good on the other thing we were talking about? The infection and everything or no infection? Yay. Ugh. Oh, sorry. Okay, well, sorry to make me. It's like, thanks for pointing everything out to everybody. I'm just glad you're here. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, your more sure word of prophecy, God. What a blessing it is that you've given that to us. It's our, it's our link to you. You tell us ahead of time so that we know, so that we're encouraged, so we're not surprised. And we also know that you know. That's very important to us, God. It, it brings comfort to us. Um, no child likes to see their parents surprised it's, uh, when it comes to tragedy or when it comes to difficulties. We like to know that things are well in hand. And knowing that about you, Father, that you have things well in hand is a comfort to us, even in our darkest times. Lord, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we fear no evil because we're with you and we walk with you. So, Lord, we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what, second, that's what Peter says as he writes his second epistle. It's chapter 1, verse 19. And so we have a prophetic word confirmed. Telling somebody about something before it happens is a big deal. <laughs> um, a lot of us try to be prophetic. You know, we guess. God doesn't guess. He lets us know exactly what's going to happen before it happens so that we know. He says, we have this prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Prophecy is meant to give us light. Um, We live in dark times right now. I don't think anybody would disagree with the fact that things in this world have grown darker, especially in in the last five years for sure, if not further, obviously. But it seems like things are picking up speed as far as darkness goes. And the light that's around us, or the light that we carry, is getting brighter and brighter. In other words, it's harder and harder to, to, to hide the fact or blend in as a Christian in this world. You still believe what you believed 10 years ago. If you're a strong believer in Jesus Christ, a born-again believer, you've realized that you stand out more than you ever have before in this world. Um, and, and the you're not changing, we hope. Well, we hope you're getting brighter. I guess that's a good thing. But the world's getting darker. It is. And so we have this sure word of prophecy to guide us through these times. What's going to happen next? You know, we briefly hit upon, uh, I believe it was Wednesday, how the writer of Hebrews is trying to fill in some spiritual gaps or some scriptural gaps that the nation of Israel had concerning their Messiah. They learned about the good things, the king, the kingdom, and all these things, but the suffering Messiah, they weren't taught those things. So that caught them off guard. If they had been taught about those things, and I'm not saying things went like they shouldn't have, they went exactly like they were supposed to when Jesus was crucified. And yet, 
if they had known and been taught all the prophecies about the Messiah, would they have been caught off guard as much? You see, we have um, and are celebrating the first advent of Jesus Christ. That's what the birth of Christ is. The first time the Messiah shows up. That means when there's a first, there's a second. And we're called to be ready for the second appearing of Jesus Christ. So for in order for us to be ready for the second appearing of Jesus Christ, we need to study all the scriptures, prophecies about that second coming of Jesus Christ so that we're not caught off guard like they were caught off guard. Do we know the day or the hour? We do not. The Bible tells us we do not. We can speculate, we can feel it, we can sense, but we are supposed to know the seasons, the times that we live in. And I've never felt more tingly in my entire life as far as the second coming of Jesus Christ. What a horrible way to explain it, but my antenna are way up, you know. So Peter says, we have this as a light. In Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 42, that's my next set of scriptures. Jesus was coming in... uh, to be inspected, basically. It's at the end of his public ministry. He's coming into Jerusalem, and he says this about the whole event. Now, as he drew near Jesus, he saw the city and wept over it. This is Jerusalem, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You should have known, Jesus says as he's walking in. You should have known. Why would they have known? How could they have known? Are we supposed to guess? How we take your word for it, Jesus? No, we have the sure word of prophecy. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, this is a prophecy way, way long ago from Daniel. Old Testament stuff, good prophecy. About the 70 weeks of years determined for Israel. God says, I've got a timeline, I've got a time frame, and I've got 70 weeks of years, 490 years, set for Israel. So let me break those down for you, God says, through the prophet Daniel. He says in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. We've got 490 years designed for Israel until Jesus comes the second time, okay? Now, as he breaks this down, he shows us in this section that there's a first time, though, also. And it's in between the 69th week of years and the 70th week of years. He continues, Know therefore and understand... I pause there because we're supposed to know therefore and understand. I'm telling you this ahead of time, God says, so that you know therefore and understand. That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Add them together, that's 69 weeks of years. Once that happens, from that command until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, so you've got your seven weeks and then your 62-week period. After that 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. 
They weren't taught that. What do you mean the Messiah is cut off? Cut off, they know what that means. Removed, dead, gone. How can the second coming of the Messiah, they thought it was the first coming, how can that happen if he's dead? That dead is dead. So to read this was, hmm, and our tendency and their tendency, our tendency is the same as theirs. When I don't understand something, oh, I put that in a file over here and I just, I don't know about that. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. They were supposed to dig in and not do that. When I run across, when you run across scripture that are difficult to comprehend, great. It's not all supposed to be easy, you know. Our kids are going through, uh, they go through math lessons every year. We've got a book we're working through. And, and, and some Mondays when we start our new uh, section, you know, hey, 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 this is going to be easy, you know. And they're so excited about that. And then the next week comes, this is not easy at all. But they still have to go through it, you know. We give them their spelling words on Mondays. And Bo is devastated if he doesn't get 100% on the new spelling words. I'm like, son, we're just giving them to you to know what you don't know. And you don't know six of the 10. That's a good thing. We're going to learn those six. The other ones we don't have to study because you've got them down. I just, no, it's if you don't know them on Friday that we're concerned. But you do, and you always get it right. But, oh, it just breaks his heart. Guys, when we read Scripture... I want to understand it like you do, and I want to know it. I want to instantly get it. It's not that way. Sometimes we run across scriptures that say after 62 weeks, the Messiah is going to be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. That's a lot, right? Well, thank goodness for Sir Robert Anderson. He wrote a book in 1895 called The Coming Prince. Sir Robert Anderson is a lawyer turned investigator for Scotland Yard, a detective. He was brought on because he was a genius. Well, he reads things like this. He says, I want to figure this out. It says here, I'm supposed to know. If there's 490 years determined for Israel... And after 69 weeks of years, Messiah is supposed to come? Let's do the math on that. The Julian date of the 10th of Nisan was Sunday the 6th, April AD 32. What then was the length of the period intervening between the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem? Remember, you remember Nebuchadnezzar and him desire and Artaxerxes to go ahead and build it? Hey, Nehemiah, go back and build the temple, go ahead and it. When was the command given for those guys to start doing that? It was in 14, March 14th, BC, 445. And as he does the math on these things, the interval contained exactly into the very day, 173,880 days, or seven times 69 prophetic years of a 360-day calendar, which was the Babylonian calendar. Jesus comes in on the donkey the very day he was supposed to, from the time that the command went forth to rebuild the temple. You should have known the day, he says. I told you when I was coming. Yeah, but nobody did the math. Nobody took the time. Prophecy's for us. God's like, it's not like I didn't tell you. 
Now, I'm making light of it. Jesus wept over it because I, I want us as a people, as a church, as a body, to not be afraid of prophecy, to dig into it, and to use it as a light for our lives. Here it comes. The book of Revelation is a fantastic, wonderful, beautiful, enlightening book. Not a dark book, not a hidden book, not a mysterious book. It's meant he gave it to us so that we'd know. I want you to know how it's all going to go down. I want you to know when it's all going to go down. You know, I'm going to keep the day and the the hour mine, but I want to tell you what to look for and how it's going to go down. That's exciting. So his, his first birth. In John chapter 13, verses 18 through 20, Jesus speaks of these things to the disciples while he's spending time with them. I do not speak concerning all of you as he begins to describe who his betrayer is going to be, Judas. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, that a prophecy may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. That prophecy that was said in the Old Testament, that's why I chose Judas. Everybody, why'd you choose Judas? Because we needed this to take place. This is how it was prophesied to go down. Verse 19 is the most important verse. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Our prophecies that we have in our book and our book only, the Bible, confirm that we have the truth and we have a direct connection to the author of the universe in all creation. Because no other religion in the world has this, only us. That's how we know. We have the more sure word of prophecy. It's confirmed. Look, you can't change it from happening. I'm telling you it's going to happen so that when it happens, you knew that I knew it was going to happen so that you know who I am. And I want to know him. I want the world to know him. We don't follow a rabbi, a great teacher, one of many prophets, one of many spiritual gurus throughout history. We follow God come in the flesh as Christians. We celebrate this Christmas season, the birth of God come in the flesh. Nobody else can claim that. And it's by prophecy that we know that. Our first prophecy for the Christ to be born, filled with power, peace, spirit. The prophecy is from Isaiah 9-6. You've read it on many Christmas cards. We'll read it here this morning. For to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. In his name, this baby, this child, this son, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Those are his titles. Those are the things that he can call himself. We have one name. I'm JD. It doesn't describe who I am, but we would use other things to describe what I do. This is a scripture showing us that when this child comes, I want you to know who it is that you're holding, Mary. That that song, Mary, did you know? I like that song. The answer is yes, she did. (laughs) She absolutely knew. None of it was a surprise to her. Now it unfolded before her, but Gabriel told her exactly who she was holding and whose face she was going to be kissing. Cute verse, cute song, but yeah, she knew. She knew from prophecy. Read Mary's Magnificent. It's beautiful. She strings together 11 different scriptures in her Magnificent because she knew the Word of God that well. And we should too. 
We should have no doubt about who Jesus is. He's the everlasting father come in the flesh. He's the son, the everlasting son. He's mighty God, he tells us. Anybody that says that Jesus never claimed to be, no, prophecy does, and he did, both. The fulfillment of that scripture, or or actually, sorry, another prophecy, the second one, Isaiah 61, 1, same book. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, for the release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, Jesus actually quoted this exact prophecy about the Messiah. And here's what he says. This is the fulfillment of it. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Christ himself says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. He says, you're, you're seeing this fulfilled in your presence. That prophecy is being fulfilled now. Anybody that was around him had no excuse. Isaiah 61 says, the Messiah is going to do this. Jesus says, and I'm the guy doing this. I don't, I don't know. Do I have to add up two plus two for you? You know? The next one is Christ would be born a virgin or born of a virgin. Prophecy. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Later on, it says his name is going to be Jesus, also in the exact same passage. The fulfillment is Matthew 1, 23. Mary received this same prophecy when the angel Gabriel visited her, and we see this fulfilled clearly through Scripture. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Fulfilled. Prophesied, fulfilled. Prophesied, fulfilled. Over and over again. The prophecy of Christ being born in Bethlehem. Now, here's the thing. Some of you may say, well, why didn't you do that prophecy or this prophecy? There's over 300 of them. I picked 10. Okay, so that's great that you know there's others. Look into those yourself and and dig into them, but I I picked 10. I I could have picked 300, but you'd have been here a while, I think. He says this in Micah 5.2. The Lord says, Bethlehem, you might not be an important town in the nation of Judah, but out of you will come a ruler over Israel for me. His family line goes back. To the early years of your nation, it goes all the way back to the days of long ago. I used a pretty liberal translation for that, as you can tell. I like the way it words it, though, you know. You're really nobody. The fulfillment was Matthew 2.10. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem. Wonderful. The Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah has to come out of Egypt, and the Messiah has to be raised in Nazareth. All three of these have to be the case, okay? So the next one, obviously, is Egypt. The prophecy is Hosea 11.1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The fulfillment is in Matthew 2.13. After Jesus was born, King Herod is going to try to wipe out all the babies ages two and under in that region, in Bethlehem. And so an angel comes to Joseph to say, you need to get up. 
He says, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Matthew 2, 13. From Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem, had to flee to Egypt. See, now when you're studying these things as a Jewish person about the Messiah, this is where you can imagine the arguments at temple, right? We're the group that believes in the Bethlehem Messiah because we believe that scripture. And we're not going to disregard that scripture. And then there's another group over here and says, no, 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 no. No, we're the, we're the Egypt Messiah people. We're not going to ignore that scripture. And then you got the guys over here that say, no, 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 the, the Nazareth. We're the Nazarene Christians or, or believers over here, the Messiah people over here. And they probably argued and wouldn't sit next to each other or anything. And God says, what if it's all three? What if I do it? Well, how can that be? How can he be born? How can he be from Egypt? How can he be from Bethlehem? How can he be from Nazareth? Well, watch, watch me do this. And he does it. He points it out perfectly. He lays it out perfectly. It's all the way it's supposed to be. Verse five, or the next one is, is a star, a star being used to guide the wise men. Prophecies from Numbers twenty four seventeen. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Now, you can see as you read that, you're like, wait a minute, that's kind of a stretch. It's not. It actually tells us that it's a prophecy about the Messiah, but it also had a near fulfillment, which was actually taking place right there with the sons of Sheth and all that. also had a far. Both the prophecy, most prophecies had that. We're speaking to the now, but we're also speaking to the future, sort of a dual thing here, and this is one of them. I don't know why God does that. I guess he thinks it's, it says it's the glory of God to conceal the, seal the matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out. It's, how bad do you want to know? We give up pretty easy sometimes on stuff. And God says, well, if you dig, and you read, and you want to know, I'd love to show you some things in there. And I like that. I'm glad it's not just laid out like that. There's going to be this star that's going to travel and, you know, it's going to move. No other stars do this, but this one does. And it's going to stop, actually, and rest over, not continue moving. It's not in an orbit. It's actually being, it's functioning as a guide on, you know, for a group of men from the east. Here's the fulfillment. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but before Egypt, by the way, He's still in Bethlehem. The days of, actually, he's not, he's, 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 how it worked was he was born in Bethlehem. They went back to a small house. And while he was a child, that's when the kings showed up and gave him all the gifts. And once he had all that funding, and that's how I put it, it's probably the wrong way to put it, but once he had the funds, now we're going to Egypt. You don't have to find a job. You don't have to do anything. And you've got travel expenses covered, you know, amazing. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Prophesied they would come. I mean, you could go down a whole rabbit trail there. How did they know to even look? What passages were they reading? What scriptures? Well, 
Daniel. See, Daniel was in the east. Daniel was taken captive into Babylon. Daniel was one of the scholars of the day over there. He wrote a lot of stuff. These guys, hundreds of years later, are reading some of Daniel's scrolls saying, hey, I think there's supposed to be a Messiah here. It's about that time, you know. And then they see this star appear. Let's go. This is it. They figured it out. The next one is Psalm 72, verses 10 through 11. It's a prophecy um, that they would bring him gifts. May the kings of Tarshish and of the distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. Now, see, I see they're both first and second coming. First coming is, yeah, they all brought him gifts just like they were supposed to. But he does tell us that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. They're all going to serve him. You get both there. The fulfillment, Matthew 2.11, on, on coming to the house, not the manger, they saw the child, not the baby, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I saw a cute thing. And this is probably not news to you, but it is to me. Everybody does Elf on the Shelf or whatever they do. And they said, why don't you get, why don't you get the wise men and put them somewhere like far away in your house and have them start throughout the you know, week moving towards it? I mean, you, know, you, you got to explain to the kids on Christmas Eve that there's a fast forward a couple years you know, or whatever, but you could still do something fun like that. Like, where are the wise men now? You know, moving the star through your house or whatever. I might do that. We've got lots of grandkids now, so I could, I could do that. Go to grandpa's house. Where are the magi now? We're over here. Find them. The next one is he would worship, be worshiped by shepherds. That's in Psalm 72.9. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. The desert tribes, the herdsmen, the people out there that are watching the sheep. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. The first people to see him were the were these desert tribes people, the, the lowest, you know. Um, that's come up a lot this week for me, and I don't. It's a little side thing here; really doesn't have much to do with the teaching today. But um, I hear a lot of times about small churches looking for pastors around here, you know, um, just begging for someone to just be a shepherd and watch out for them and, and do all that and. I saw someone post something. Um, we need shepherds that choose faithfulness over fame. You know, quit looking for the big cities and the big things, and and to be a blessing. And and you think about that when 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 they were told Andrew was told that you know this is Jesus of Nazareth and and um, and Nathaniel and and all these guys are like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it's the sticks. The Messiah comes out of the sticks. You know. Probably had a thick accent, a Galilean accent, you know, a little twang in his voice. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, faithfulness can. 
Anyway, it's been coming up a lot. Shepherds, the lowest, were the ones to see him first. Jesus comes out of Nazareth. Um, it's a good thing to, to find faithful men that'll take care of flocks around here, you know, in these smaller towns so people don't have to drive so far. That's a big deal. It's important. The next one is that there will be a great sorrow surrounding the birth of Jesus. It's from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 13. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. What a horrible thing to teach on a Saturday, you know. What does that mean? I don't know. We don't want to be around for it, but this is going to happen. Well, the fulfillment, of course, was when Herod found out that the wise men didn't come back to him and tell him where the baby was. He got his guys together. They determined the time, the date, when they think, and they decided to kill all the babies that were within that range. And here's the fulfillment of that. It's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Those are some of the prophecies we don't want fulfilled, that we don't like to see happen, but there it is. There it is. More proof. Satan trying to destroy this Messiah from coming. He's still trying to do it today. I've ordered some books for us. Um, I only got three copies because not a lot of people are interested in digging into this kind of thing, but there might be three of you that are, and I can order more, but I hate to get too many of them. But it's about deconstructionism that's moving through the Christianity. And deconstructionism, there's nothing good about it, is... It's not re, uh, you know, rediscovering your faith like you'd think it would be or, or anything. It's, it is actually the destruction um, because they destroy the Word of God, and the Word of God has no authority anymore. And that it's just an ancient book full of, full of uh, old stories that we've been taught to believe since youth, and you need to figure this out for yourself in the name of deconstructing your faith. And it's, it's, it's proposed as a, as a genuineness for your faith. You need to be able to do this to your faith, and bring it back to life if it's real. If it's not, then let it die is the idea behind it. So I ordered some books on it just so you guys can understand where it comes from. Well, you can't reconstruct your faith from that deconstruction without the Word of God being the Word of God. If it is a historical document, a collection you know, from 40 different authors and 66 books and has no continuity whatsoever... How do you reconstruct your faith from that? In, order, in other words, it's meant to destroy only. There is no reconstruction afterwards. Now, why do I take the time to say that on you know, the, the week before Christmas? Because that's why we study prophecy. This is how we know it's one author, not 40. He used 40 different people, but the continuity is unbelievable. From Genesis to Revelation, we have a consistent prophetic word throughout looking at us. We see a battle between uh, you know, the, the, the Cains and the Abels from the very beginning. We've got a battle between Babylon and Jerusalem from the very, very beginning all the way to the end. From Genesis to Revelation, these battles take place. The battle between good and evil, it's all the way through, and it's consistent over thousands of years, these documents were written. And yet there's this consistency. 
There's some prophecy here, 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 and they all blend, and none of them contradict. How in the world does that happen? That's why we study these things. That's why I took the time this morning to go over some of these things, so we understand that the attack on the killing of Jesus Christ continues to this day. The killing of your Savior, the killing of your Messiah, making your personal relationship with him void so that you continue to go into the lost darkness without light at all, frustrated, lost, bewildered, fearful, unsure, you know, unstable in all your ways. That's all Satan does. I was given an anvil. I, uh, they dropped off an anvil for me, and I'm still cleaning it up. Um, an anvil, you know, a blacksmith's anvil, because I want to put it out there. That's what that wood stump is out there. We're going to get a plate, and I'm going to mount the plate, and then we're going to weld the anvil to it, and I'm going to hang a little, not a little, I don't care how big it is, a hammer off of it, chain to it, so it doesn't walk away from us. You know how I hammer. You can never find a tool around here if you need it. So I'm going to chain this thing to it. The anvil represents the word of God. The word of God is the anvil that has wore out many a hammer, is the scripture, or not the scripture, but the saying that, that, that was said. People beat on this and beat on it and beat on it, and it stands to this day and will always stand. God's word will never fail. It will always stand, even through deconstructionism, because it's got prophecy. God has baked into this proof. He's baked into this checks and balances. I don't ever have to wonder. I've got this. I don't ever have to lose an argument with somebody. I'd like to win the soul, but I'll never, win an, I'll never lose an argument because I know this and I've studied this. And you can defeat all those things with these scriptures. The next one is the timing of Christ's birth. And this is Daniel 9, 25 through 26. I want to read this again. This is kind of how we started with Sir um, with the inspector. Now listen and understand seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one comes. Jerusalem will be, will, will, will rebuild the streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of sevens, the seven sets and then the 62 sets, 69, the anointed one will be killed appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city, the temple, and the end will come with a flood, and the war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. That's Daniel 9, 25 through 26. I picked that, that translation because it talks about his death, not just being cut off, but that's what cut off means, just death. And we've read that fulfillment already. That Herod died in 4 BC, figured it out. 62 weeks of weirds, 186,000. Uh, let's see, 100. And, let me go back up and look, get my numbers right here. Um, yeah, there it is. 173,880 days. You'd think I'd memorize this by now, but I haven't. Until he's cut off, and he did to the day. Now, when did it get destroyed? Well, it's interesting, on Wednesday nights we're going through Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews was written six years before 70 AD, which is when there was a five-month rebellion, the Jewish rebellion lasted five months, and when, it, when, the, when the Rome crushed that rebellion, they destroyed the temple at that time. And in 70 AD, it was destroyed. 
six years after the book of Hebrews was written, fulfilling the prophecy, and they haven't been able to worship since. Because it's done, because it's finished, because it's completed. So the time is there. Now, Matthew 2, 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Gives us a time frame. Herod was king. That's 4 B.C. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins. And live for righteousness. By, the, by his wounds, you have been healed. 1 Peter 2.24. Again, fulfilling that Daniel prophecy. Another one is Matthew 24, verse 2. Do you see all these things? He replied, tell, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be toppled. Speaking of the, of the temple, and it did, 70 AD. Every single stone. When they go to the wailing wall, we've discussed this, the wailing wall uh, where the Jews pray is simply the retaining wall that holds back the soil to the temple mount. There's no temple up there anymore. It's been destroyed. In fact, off of that, you can see around that temple mount some of the large stones from the temple that were smashed into the pavement below. Huge stones, huge stones. Not one stone. Jesus prophesied that about a prophecy, it, it just, it's like a nesting prophecy there. It's amazing how sure it is. And finally today, Jesus' entire lineage, it, it, they, the math on this is, is hard to quantify for us to understand these things. We use numbers all the time, and it's like, what does to the 11th power mean? It, impossible. That means impossible. Well, yeah, but there is a possibility. Yeah, the possibility of Christ fulfilling these 10 alone is covering the state of Texas with quarters two feet deep, and you randomly, with your eyes shut, reaching in and pulling out the red one. Okay? It's not going to happen, right? That's this. They go through the lineage of Joseph, who's not the actual father, obviously, but still of the right tribe. And then they go through uh, Mary's genealogy. And, it, no, and nobody, reads it, nobody likes reading the genealogies. You know, we're all like, ah, the, the point of it is it's documented. Whether it's from Joseph or whether it's from Mary, it's documented that he came, this child came at the right time from the right lineage. There was no other baby ever born with all of these, just these 10 and here's the thing. As you go through these, and you can, you can read them, Matthew 1.1 1, 1 is, the, is the first genealogy. The other one is in Luke chapter 1. Um, you can go through these, or Luke chapter 3, and, and, and throughout these passages describe these, uh, the lineage. If Jesus isn't the Messiah, wasn't the Messiah, and here's, what, here's what's hard to explain to the Jewish people who don't believe in the Messiah. He can't come then. The time's up. The prophecies aren't there anymore. It's not, it's not possible. He either came or he's never coming. You see, God put a period. There was a, there's, a, there's a closing time on this. Anybody sign a contract before everybody knows you've got to have an end to that contract or else it's an invalid contract, except for timeshares. Don't sign a timeshare contract. That's why they're... It should be illegal. Anyway, <laughs> there's got to be a deadline. There has to be a stopping point. 
And God made sure of it. There's a stopping point. If he doesn't come by this, he's never coming. And I say that because this Christmas, as we celebrate together, next week is going to be very Christmassy, you know, Lukey. Very merry and birthy and, and, you know, and, and, and all the good stuff that we're used to doing. I took the time this morning to do this because I want next week to be, I don't have to think about whether it's true or not. I don't have to think of whether I believed on something that someone told me that we have gone through documents that are proofed for us of Old Testament prophecies that have been fulfilled I have, you have, we have the sure word of prophecy to know what I believe on, what we believe on, what we're celebrating next week is actual, it's real, it is unbelievable and supernatural for sure. But we have no doubt. We can go into next week without any doubt. And I want us to have that. I want us to know that and have that in our hearts, to have that that surety that Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that you know that I know, so that you know that it's true. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your prophecies. You took the time. You didn't have to tell us any of this. It's true whether we know it or not, but you wanted us to know it. You wanted us to have assurance. You wanted your children to be comforted. You wanted your children to have peace in our hearts. You wanted your children to know what you know. You shared your wisdom with us. You didn't have to, but you did. Lord, we're so thankful that you did. Help us to not disregard prophecy. Help us not to look at it as something mystical and unattainable or ununderstandable. But it is. You can grasp it. Lord, help us to take the time to do that. If you took the time to write it, if you took the time to give it to us, Lord, help us to take the time to know it. We do believe by faith. We trust in our hearts only because we have a prophecy that your son Jesus is coming back again a second time. Your word tells us just as surely as you came the first time that you're coming the second time. And you've given us the times and the seasons. And Lord, as we take, put our spiritual finger in the air, we can feel the wind. We get that sense you're very, very close. We see the love of many waxing cold. We see your prophecies coming to pass now, Israel back in the land. We look up, Lord. We look forward to it. We know you're coming. We don't have to guess or think or we know. And Lord, regardless of whether there's scoffers in these last days, you warn us about that. That there's going to be scoffers in the last days saying, where's the promise of his coming? He hasn't come like he promised he would. The prophecies aren't being fulfilled, but they are. But they are right in front of our very eyes. We're living in the day, God. We should know. We should be looking. We should be ready. So God, we thank you for this Christmas time. We thank you for this season. I pray that we have this attitude, this heart, this love for you throughout this whole week as we move forward to celebrating next week, your birth, your first advent. And that we'd explain to our kids and those around us all the prophecies concerning your second coming, that they might know and be looking like we are. Lord, we love you, and thank you for your comfort this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great Christmas week.